Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is uncharted in the iTunes podcast charts. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week we'll talk. No, go on. Yeah, go on. You knew that's what I was going to say, but we'll go on. <laughs> knew that's what you were going to say, but still felt the need to interrupt you. I, I felt it very important to interrupt you there to say we're uncharted currently. It's not like we've never been in the charts. It doesn't mean we're not doing well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we've been on the German charts and we were on the front page of iTunes podcasts at one point. And number 60 in Japan. Great. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, real news, and our main review is Uncharted, starring Tom Holland. We've both played all the games, I think, so I'm sure we'll come in with totally fair expectations. About that. <sighs> oh, we'll get to it. Who's going first this week? For what? For this is we've gone off this the rails the, here really quickly. <laughs> this is the format. Now we speak about what we've been watching this week. I don't know whether this was intended to be part of the recording or not, but I'm just saying who's going first right, this week. So we're blasting past like um warming up chit chat. Oh no, no, let's not. The audience loves it. James, you, are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Do you ever um do you ever feel like your life is a movie? I'm sure many people do. Many people that have spent their lives watching movies probably feel like their life is a movie. You do, I'm sure. Yeah, mainly like I can closely compare it to a Chloe Zhao movie and that not a lot happens. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel like you're riding against the wind. There's a strong headwind coming against you in life. I'm sure many people feel like that. And sometimes it can feel like that. I'm not going to go into the details, but it can feel like that. So today when I was cycling home, there was literally a very strong headwind coming right at me. And as, as we record, there's stuff on the news about this storm coming in. And it was the wind directly against me, so strong that it wasn't even worth attempting to cycle. When I stopped, the wind just blew me back. So I got off my bike and just started walking. I kept moving forward and I thought if this was a film, this would be a, a very heavy-handed metaphorical scene. You can't write it though. Sometimes life just gives us these moments of, I don't know, what would you call it? Metaphor. <laughs> oh yeah, you just... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the wind, if you can hear it in the background, it's because it's there. Yeah. Um, so not a lot. We... Yeah, not, not a lot we can do. Part of the mise-en-scene. We've avoided using that term for 90 episodes, but I'm glad we finally got there. We know what we're talking about. Yeah, with intentional mispronunciation for comic effect. James, Valentine's Day is now a week in the past, but I'm ever so curious because we haven't spoke since. Did you do anything? We've known each other 20 years. I don't know if you really take the holiday seriously, but... I don't really take it seriously. Uh had a hospital appointment so i'll parry that straight back to you what did you do i am in a really fortunate position where ever since day dot in my current oh my gosh I never referred to its current relationship in my long-term forever relationship she does not celebrate valentine's day which is such a blessing but regardless she had a fine day because i fully emptied the dishwasher and refilled it again if that doesn't say romance i don't know what does that's domestic bliss right there. That's teamwork in a relationship. That sounds really good. I mean, you say that. What did she do for me? She 
said, do you want a bag of crisps? But then instead of just giving it to you, she actually hand fed you the crisps into your mouth. Are you hacked into my Amazon Prime <laughs> Echo? <laughs> that's near enough exactly what happened. Anyway, that's enough of idle chit-chat. Shall we get down to it? Let's yes. get down to business. Yes. Daniel, what have you been watching? We made a promise last week to update you on things we've watched but not finished. So, Chloe, BBC, final thoughts. If you've not listened to the previous episode and you are listening for the first time, it's the story of a woman who gets into or inserts herself into a friendship group of a dead woman who she's obsessed with. I've finished it. And I would still highly recommend it. I do have a slight criticism. It's got a bit of a weak ending. You said this about the responder the other week. I would say it has a payoff. And to its credit, it doesn't feel the need to go all, you know, it doesn't go out all guns blazing. It's a lot more subdued, but it does make sense for the character of Becky. And there is a level of satisfaction with it. It was just maybe a bit too anticlimactic for my liking. I also feel that where I thought the story was going around the episode three mark, as I said last week, peppers in a few other ooh mystery intrigue there's not that much more to it it's pretty much what you thought it was in episode three but rather than it being a waste of the final two episodes it, it does still build up that tension if anything it's well worth watching for erin doherty's performance um because i think she does a very fine job but i assume you have finished this now do you have any other comments on chloe do you disagree are we on the same page yes i've also finished it I agree with your comments about the ending. You think because the lies are catching up to her, it's going to be this explosive exposure. It's not that. It's deliberately not that, which fits the the tone of the series. It's more psychological. Subdued ending, but not bad. It just went against expectations. But as we said with the Belfast review, me specifically, I'm, I'm trying to do that thing where I'm not putting my pressures of what I wanted something to be onto a show and just appreciating it for what it is and it's fine it was good it's worth watching the other thing that i've watched the tinder swindler liars and deceivers seem to be all the rage at the moment i think you've got another thing on your watch list this week that falls into that category so if chloe was not enough you can watch this or the puppet master which i reviewed a few weeks back just like the puppet master this is about a con man who makes his way into the lives of unsuspecting people This time, with the friendly help of Tinder. This is a lot more of an elaborate con than something like the Puppet Master. This is a guy who lives a very expensive lie. He's flying women out to foreign countries on private jets. He's putting them in five-star hotels. He's driving them about in Lamborghinis. He's just got an infinite pot of money. And that's probably because he's the CEO of an international diamond business. Yeah, right, mate. He's not. Spoiler. So he's whining and dining these women and they're living out this fairy tale existence. And then all of a sudden something happens and he needs their help to financially get himself out of a situation. And he's not asking for a tenner. He needs thousands. And every single one of these women who were part of this trap fell for it. They take out credit cards and loans in their names and just hand over ridiculous amounts of cash. And he's doing this to multiple people at a time. He's basically using the money from one person to finance this lie or this lifestyle enough to then con somebody else into doing the same thing. And it's this ingenious, never-ending loop that he's created. 
I will confess, I found it a bit difficult to fully sympathise with some of the women. And before you jump on me, I would find it the same way if any of these people were men. And it's because they just go along with this to the point where they've racked up $250,000 in debt. And it's very easy for me to say when I'm not caught up in that situation, but how do you let it get that bad before something clicks in your head and you say, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of money, this is uh, something quite wrong here. On the flip side of that, if I'm being a bit more forgiving and non-judgmental, this guy has shown them the dream. He's demonstrated his wealth in many ways. And I suppose that would give you a false sense of security. If he's able to do all this stuff, surely I should believe him. I've seen him living a wealthy life. But anyway, I guess this show just shows you how you can be duped and uh, put into this situation because that's what modern technology, for all its benefits, has allowed us to be susceptible to. So, yeah, I... Quite enjoyed this. I, I would recommend it. It's worth a watch. Is it just a movie, a documentary film? Yes. Um, I don't want to say it outstays its welcome, but it's two hours. I think it could have easily been a snappier hour and a half. But again, at least we've not got a six-parter yeah. to make our way yeah. through. The Tinder Swind the Tinder Swinder. The Tinder Swindler. Swindler, yeah. On Netflix. Okay. What else have you been watching? I watched Shut In by DJ Caruso, a director known for classics such as Eagle Eye and I Am Number Four. Do you remember? There was there were some great films. You didn't get that sarcasm. This, this was a weird one. I had to watch this in a very unconventional way. So it premiered on YouTube over the weekend and I was lucky enough to find out about it so that I could be part of that moment. And it was entirely free. So why wouldn't I? give this a go it's about a down on a look mum who is fresh out of rehab she's got two kids to look after and a very shady boyfriend who is yet to make the journey she has in terms of you know recovery he's very much on drugs still and therefore a negative presence in her life that she would like to avoid through a random series of events she finds herself trapped in a utility cupboard and then the return of her ex-partner sparks this hellish journey for survival. The whole thing rests on the performance of Rainy Qualley. I don't know if I'm saying that right. She's the mum character in this, and she's apparently primarily a musician, but you'd never have guessed it because she gives a really, really good performance in this. She comes across as very natural. She's empathetic, and crucially, she's a very relatable person. She also happens to be the daughter of actress Andy McDowell, for anybody who may be interested. All that is to say I've never seen or heard of her before, but she really made an impression on me in this. What really helps support the film is this relationship and interplay she has with her daughter. So she's trapped in this room. She has to communicate to her five-year-old daughter how to take care of a baby and ensure that she's keeping this baby safe while she's trapped in this room. And you can imagine when you've literally no other option, that is a terrifying thought and it definitely helps ramp up the tension. There are moments within this where she's frustrated with the daughter because obviously she's five. She shouldn't have this level of responsibility and she messes things up and she gets things wrong. And you could easily condemn her as a mum for being so scolding of this child, but she is being pushed to her mental limits and it, it does make dramatic sense. It's not a big budget film, and as the premise suggests, it's pretty much a single location film, but it utilises the space that it has really, really well, and the single setting, it adds that feeling of claustrophobia to it all. They do continue 
throughout the runtime to find unique and interesting ways of finding new threats and again the dramatic stakes being raised as we get further and further along and I won't say how because that would spoil it this was one of those films where I'm sat there before it starts thinking this is free on YouTube surely it's going to be a bit shit it's not it's far from it I thought this was a really effective thriller that's actually a lot more character driven than I was expecting it to be because I think it's billed as a horror and it's not it's more about not just the thrills, it's this protagonist and giving her a real solid emotional arc throughout the whole thing. Another thing to note, this has been getting press because it marks the return of Vincent Gallo to the big screen. He was quite a big deal in the late 90s, and I don't know if you remember this, he directed and starred in a film with Chloe Savini called The Brown Bunny, where she gives him a blowjob, IRL, and they showed it. And ever since then, he's... I don't think it was because of this. It might have been timing-wise or I'm misremembering it, but he just disappeared after that. And I think there was an element of, why did you do that? You did not... It didn't add anything to the film. It was just for the purpose of being controversial. Anyway, he's back, so that's making the news. And the only final point on this is this is brought to us by The Daily Wire, who produced another film that I spoke about very briefly in the end-of-year film episode which was run hide fight that's got an absolutely abysmal critic rating on imdb it was just a very pulpy action film that just so happened to tackle really sensitive subject matter about gun violence and in the us it did not go down well and i think a lot of people were expecting this film to be another let's spark the controversy again and it's going to have some political leanings but it's not it's not that sort of film this is just a story about hope and redemption and it's, it's far more successful than the plot might suggest. And I really enjoyed it. And I was not expecting to. Sounds very interesting. I wasn't expecting you to talk for that long about that. Yeah, not in a bad, that's, not, that's not a negative thing. You've made me more intrigued. I was just looking up the poster as you were talking and spotted Daily Wire executive producer Ben Shapiro on it. I didn't know that they'd also made Run, Hide. Was it Run, Hide, Fight? That's the one, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know they were making films. Daily Wire, of course, the well-known conservative American media company. And as far as I'm concerned, tick, tick, both films, boom. Um, That was enough of me prattling on. What have you been watching this week, James? Because you've teased it already, I will lead with Inventing Anna on Netflix, which is also about a liar, just like the Tinder Swindler. We've talked about Chloe on the BBC which is a psychological thriller about a woman who infiltrates a higher class of friends for mysterious reasons. Her motivation is revealed as the series goes on and it becomes more and more interesting. But this is Inventing Anna. It's based on the true story of the fake heiress, Anna Delvey slash Sorokin, who defrauded loads of people in New York. She had this idea for an art project. She wanted to lease an expensive building in New York. And to do that, she produced lots of fraudulent documents to try to raise huge loans to get this project going. Along the way, she stayed at hotels that she never paid for. And in a key moment on holiday, she got her friend Rachel to use her credit card to pay for a $60,000 hotel bill. And she mixed with a lot of like new, the New York elite. And she even met the guy behind the fire festival. There's a BBC podcast about this. That's about five 30 minute episodes that covers the entire story. That's also covered in Netflix over nine hours. 
I listened to the BBC podcast. I wanted to watch this because I knew the story. I thought this should be good because it is a good story. But my expectations were not met. There is a key moment in episode eight where Anna tells the main character journalist, more on that later, after hundreds of hours, you still know nothing about me. That describes this series. In nine hours, there's no insight and no explanation for why Anna Sorokin did any of the things that she did. And maybe that's because there is no explanation. She just did a crime and she's not a very interesting person. The BBC podcast actually says the Netflix and HBO shows of this story will probably try to make Anna more interesting than she actually is because by all accounts, she's quite dull. So maybe that's why the main character of this nine-hour series is actually Vivian, the journalist. Inventing Anna, the programme, is actually Vivian's quest to interview people and write an article. So you can watch with excitement as a journalist tries to get interviews and then interviews people and listens to them do the interviews. And then you get flashbacks to the highlights of the Anna Sorokin story that I've just said. That's also detailed in the BBC podcast, like the socialising, pitching the Art Foundation, the Marrakesh holiday disaster. But those flashbacks, which are the meat of the story, the main scandal you want to see, that all comes across a bit like a well-shot recollection with no actual drama because the whole series opens with Anna already in prison. It's very lavish and stylish and over the top. There's a lot of music pumped in to make it more exciting. And there's a lot of hip-hop music, which doesn't really fit the setting of Anna or the fact that she's a Russian who's moved to Germany and then to New York. That doesn't quite fit. It just seems like it's there to pump up the energy of the series. Towards the end, there are accusations of people exploiting Anna, the poor victim who's a conflicted fraudster. Her friend, Rachel, is accused of exploiting the story for profit in a book that was sold to HBO. The HBO isn't named, but it is HBO that they're talking about. The lawyer who represents Anna, he wants to, he's accused of wanting to improve his reputation and get more clients. The main character journalist, Vivian, she argues with the lawyer about that point, like you're just trying to take advantage of her. However, the real-life journalist whose article this series is based on is also profiting from this programming existing, and she's releasing a book that's promoted by name in the closing credits of the final episode. So Netflix and the journalist character, they're trying to make some kind of point about exploiting Anna, and the last shot is Anna looking to camera, like the end of Witcher 3. Like, oh, you know, who am I really? But you're making this program... How are you not doing what you're saying other people are doing? You can't comment on this problem while you're doing it as well. It was like The Matrix 4 saying that reboots are bad within a bad reboot. Sorry, I was muted on my mic. <clears throat> Sorry, was that? Was... I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find this hard to answer, I think, because it requires a rewiring of your brain and events and circumstances. But had you not listened to the podcast and knew the ins and outs of what happens, would you at least not get some sort of joy out of the, you know, seeing the depth of a deception and how far it goes? Obviously, that is just, you knew that already. To be fair, probably, yeah, I would be shocked and appalled by what she gets away with. What's really shocking is the structure. I can't stress enough that the main character is Vivian, the journalist. Mm. And it's her quest to 
write the article that she wants to write. So her male bosses, they're saying, no, we want you to write about this. And she says, no, I really want to write about Anna Sorokin. And that's the main thrust of the whole first episode. And that goes right through to the very end. She really, really wants to write this article and tell this story and ends up really caring for this convicted criminal and wanting to write about her. I can't stress that enough that that's what it's actually about. Well, you've just made sense of the fact that I I did not understand why Julia Garner, who plays Anna in this, I thought, why is she not top build and it's somebody else? Well, now I know why. Oh, that's a shame. That I think I think because I've not got the benefit of having listened to the podcast, I might give it one or two episodes. But if I arrive as lukewarm on it as you've been, then I think I'll just give it a miss. So thanks for the forewarning. It's very it's very Netflix. Yeah, just it's there's a lot of flashy stuff. It's always it's there's it's very slow moving. Not a lot of information, but there's always just some sort of flashy thing going on on the screen. There's there's montages that are a few minutes apart, like a montage of traveling to prison, montage of Anna networking, montage of like research on the internet. There's always just something going on, but really it's just very slow delivery of information so you can have it on in the background while you're looking at your phone. Mm, sounds like a bit of style over substance, a la Ryan Murphy, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Actually, it comes from Shondaland Productions, who also did Bridgerton and Scandal. Yeah, she's one of the uh, other people, isn't she, who signed like this ridiculous deal with Netflix to produce content for the next 15 years for like 300 million. Completely out of context stats with that. I've no idea what the deal was, but it's another sort of Harlan Corbin thing. You are locked in and will slave away for us for years to come. Anything else you've been watching? As we see it on Amazon Prime, which we'll probably talk about for less time, but I'm much, much, much more positive. You pulled a face like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's a shame because... I absolutely loved this program as we see it on Amazon Prime. It's about three people living together who are on the autism spectrum, and they also live with a helper who helps them. She's their aide. And the idea is that these three people will live together and try to get jobs, make friends, and interact with the world. It's one of the best pieces of content that I've seen recently, and it will most likely be in my top five at the end of the year. It strikes a balance between comedy and drama and heartfelt that Ricky Gervais can only dream of. The three main actors are all on the spectrum, IRL, which brings an authenticity to it. And it's based on an Israeli show called On the Spectrum. But this American version is created by Jason Katims, who also made Friday Night Lights and Parenthood. And it was a deeply personal project for him because of his son. I don't know the details of that. So there's lots of little references to very authentic things like the cards that Violet carries or Jack talking about passing as a normal person, normal in quotation marks. And I realized halfway through that I was equally invested in everyone's story. Mandy taking the internship, Jack's father, will Vivian find love? Everything works brilliantly. And usually an episode will end with the three main characters and Mandy coming together in the house and having like moments of understanding with each other. And you'll you just you this, the growth that they all go through. It's so well written. And this is the only program ever that we finish watching and then said the next day, let's watch all that again immediately. That's how good it is. Wow. Well, that is something. It's not that I wasn't taking you seriously before, but now I'm really listening. <laughs> which which is a shame because I think you finished your review. 
Yes, <laughs> just finished it. Okay, right. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, as we see it, and like I say, I don't have much more to say. Unlike inventing Anna, where there's a wider context, there isn't with this. It's just really good. So obviously, as as, as you know, so about my, I'm getting personal. My son's going through a diagnosis for autism at the minute and i'm actively avoiding anything around this subject matter which is not the right thing to do um i, I just find some of the shows that because i know what the storyline is going to be and i just I just think it's quite e um that I, i'm not prepared for mentally is it more comedy than drama or is it just equal on both fronts it's just equal right okay. but it's it but it's it's really touching as well Okay, I mean, I, I do have to go down this rabbit hole at some point, and this sounds like a perfectly great show to do it with. And yeah. maybe, maybe I'll think I'll watch it all again, just like you. So thanks for that. It's on the watch list, added. Cool. Let's do real news. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. James, my memory's fuzzy, but there's an Amazon Prime, most expensive TV show ever made on the horizon. It's the Lord of the Rings TV series, which isn't called that. What's it called? It's called The Rings of Power. Thank you. We haven't prepped this at all. Done no research. Other than both having watched the trailer. So this is a property that's very dear to your heart. When I say, please forgive me, I don't remember. Were you excited for this? I don't think you were, were you? I wasn't excited, no. Has the trailer changed your opinion? No. Right. It has What's your new... <laughs> the bottom line is the Lord of the Rings books were adapted as good as anyone possibly could 20 years ago by Peter Jackson and a miraculously assembled team in the New Zealand countryside, and you can't replicate that. How do I know you can't replicate it? Because they tried with The Hobbit, and that didn't work. So that was how the same gonna... guy? Exactly. So how were they going to make something good when it's completely removed from the Lord of the Rings stories. What really sealed it for me with the trailer was that it has that shiny, CG, clean, perfectly managed look to it. The kind of look that you you see in Wheel of Time, in Shadow and Bone on Netflix. It looks like every other fantasy show that you would see on Netflix, whereas the Lord of the Rings films have a look to them that you will well, you will never get that again yeah one positive i will say that i found out after watching it morphid clark plays galadriel and she was saint maud in saint maud one of the best films oh last right year. okay so suddenly I, I, I saw the trailer thought i don't really care looked up some actors and then it's, it's, it's morphid clark who's really good i want to see her in more things she's in lord of the rings and then suddenly i was like oh i will actually take a little bit more interest i predict you'll get halfway through the first episode and you'll you'll rage quit it it will piss over your memory of the lord of the rings films it will it will piss pure alcohol onto the corpse of the lord of the rings films and then set it alight yes it will yeah so i was just in the course of making sure that morphid's clark name is morphid clark i won't go through the article i'm just looking at the headline there's an independent article from one day ago that says for a billion dollar show why does the new lord of the rings trailer look so cheap yes there's just something that isn't right and all the actors that it looks like they've just been taken out of a selection of like young marketable actors 
that are all the same. It's from the same pool of actors that also appear in Wheel of Time and Shadow and Bone. See, I have watched neither of those shows, and I do know that there's there's just an abundance of fantasy at the minute. But I didn't get that from the aesthetic of watching the trailer. It did feel like it was a bit tryhardy. That that was my takeaway from it. But I didn't get sort of like you know oh fatigue in the sense that oh, I've seen all this before. I did think it looked half decent. That's just my, but I, I'm not a lover of this franchise. It's not for me. I'm not going to be one one of the people who watches it. I just thought it looked okay. But I do agree that it's not clean. Is a very appropriate way of putting it. It's it's almost too clean. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about the casting. It's in the Jackson trilogy. It's really only Frodo and Legolas that are like these beautiful people. Like Legolas is is a perfect looking elf, and Frodo, I think, is different from what he's imagined in the books. They just had beautiful blue eyed Elijah Wood as the literal poster boy for it. But in all modern fantasy, everyone is beautiful, clean look to them. No, I can see that now. And just to further drive home my lack of interest in this, you can tell I don't want to watch it because I don't watch trailers and I made an effort to watch this. Has this reached the billion dollar mark as well? That's what they keep saying, yeah. They spent a billion dollars on it. I did hear a slightly, not misleading headline, but someone insinuated that the billion dollars is because they're going to do this for five seasons, which then makes it not sound as wow. But I don't know. We'll surely check it out and let you know what we think, which will be it's not great. James, any other real news? Yes. According to the BBC, which is fact, Paramount Plus reveals big plans. But do we need another streaming service? So the streaming service Paramount Plus has announced a huge slate of new shows and films ahead of its expansion to countries, including the UK this year. So get this for some new hot content. Sonic the Hedgehog series, 14 new South Park movies, four SpongeBob films. 14 14 South Park movies? Yeah, 14 new South Park movies. And the biggest one of all, a prequel series to the 2000 film Sexy Beast. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the one with Ray Winston? Yeah. Why why put that in the second paragraph of this? (laughs) Because it speaks to British audiences? I've no idea. So you'll also have Star Trek on there as well. In the way that Disney Plus has all Star Wars, this will have all Star Trek. Even more content, a reboot of 2010's werewolf drama Teen Wolf, live-action Dora the Explorer, a Halo series, which it says it's been recommissioned for a second series, so maybe there already is one, and then sort of tailing off now, a reality show, The Challenge, which have a new series, and all the Paramount films that already exist like a quiet place star trek teenage mutant ninja turtles michael bears teenage mutant ninja turtles sure yeah none of that's wet my appetite none of it in a way the leading with 14 south park movies reeks of desperation because surely that will be at the most to a year so they're asking us to get excited about something that's seven years in the making. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's, that's exactly right. Two South Park films per year for seven years. Do you know when this used to be a really attractive proposition? We were all paying through the nose for Sky and thought, oh my God, I don't need this anymore. I'm paying £10 a month and I can watch whatever the hell I want, when I want. That was great. Loved it. Now I look at my monthly outgoings. I've got Now TV, Netflix, Disney, 
Amazon. The list goes on. I don't need this. It's more than Sky at this point. I might consider going back to Sky and just purposely limiting what content is available to me to one, make sure that I can make a decision at the end of every day because it's a smaller selection and two, save myself some damn money because this is getting outrageous. Yeah, we're in the long predicted scenario now where the streaming services are so plentiful that you have a custom made large Sky cable subscription just split up so it doesn't feel like a lot, but it is. I wonder if Sky will dare to make a marketing campaign around that. It's like, remember when you just had one subscription for everything? Well, it's it really it's should. Circ- it's circled back to us now. We're actually just have one subscription with us. It's cheaper and simpler. I would not be surprised if that comes to fruition. What I am interested to know with this, though, is obviously we had MGM bought up by Amazon last year. We've now got this. Content will steadily now disappear from the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime. And does it then make these subscriptions more interesting? I don't know, because the offering actually becomes less on these behemoth services that we're used to. That will be interesting to see how it falls out, because surely it makes no sense to carry on offering these films to the likes of Netflix and Amazon. Marvel films were on Netflix for a time. Not all of them, but they drop on and off. And Star Wars The Force Awakens was on Netflix as well. So I think you're right. You'll start to see different studios' content drop away. And Netflix will just keep pumping out more crime documentaries. Although, that being said, they have kind of future-proofed themselves, Netflix, in a way, because I forget where I read it, but there will be an original Netflix film every single week this year. So it's not like they're lacking for new content. (laughs) So they might be safe, but it's just going to be a very different offering from them. Maybe they'll stand tall and see through this test. But is it quantity over quality? And as the number of streaming services increases, you might have to make some difficult decisions. What if you only had one streaming service to choose from? Do you want to talk about that next week? I think that would make a very interesting conflicts of interest, unless it all goes completely pear-shaped and we just say the same thing. Will we say the same thing? Go on. That was what I was going to say. Go on. You just... Will we say the same thing in this week's main review? Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Let me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Uncharted. Hey kid, a little young for a bartender, aren't you? A little old for prom, aren't you? everything in here. Why the map? It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion easy. But it's just a story. I beg to differ. Sony and their highly paid executives embark on a quest to find the greatest treasure never found. A good video game adaptation. With hours of cinematic material to work with and a selection of beloved characters, success was guaranteed. But the algorithm said to cast billion dollar Spider-Man star Tom Holland as Nathan Drake, and so the treasure remains lost. Nathan Drake and his wisecracking partner, Victor Sully Sullivan, embark on a dangerous quest to find the greatest treasure never found, whilst also tracking clues that may lead to Nate's long-lost brother. Daniel, what did you think of Uncharted? So you said up top, 
we're both fans of the games. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think you are too. I've played all of them, and I do genuinely believe that they are masterpieces. Maybe not so much one, very much of its time, but two and three, two especially, very, very good. The main reason for that, which, again, slightly mentioned last week, is how much they managed to blur the line between movies and games. And there's no denying, if you played them, there are truly cinematic experiences to be had with these. And they are, bar The Last of Us 2, which is the greatest narrative game I've ever played, it's the strongest you'll find in a video game, in the video game space. So with all that goodwill and reputation behind the game franchise, when you convert in this to the screen, you've definitely got your work cut out for you. And no matter how successful this is or isn't, there's always going to be somebody who you didn't quite satisfy from an audience perspective. If I'm honest, as we are recording right now, I haven't had my finger on the pulse when it comes to the reaction to this from the video game community. I've heard it as a whole. I don't know who's saying what, though. I don't know what that reception is. All I know, as we mentioned last week, critics very middle of the road and some downright trashing it and just generally not that favourable. But if you look at IMDb, it's got quite a high user rating. That's all I know. The personal complaint I have with this film, which is not a great way of starting a review, is that this is mostly Uncharted in name only. I don't feel like this is my favourite video game series brought to the big screen. It just happens to have the same character names and title. I'm not saying there's no conscious effort to make an Uncharted film. It just does not feel like it. And the biggest reason for that is these two characters of Sully and Nathan Drake that I've spent close to 60 hours with in terms of game length, they are, heck all, like them in appearance or anything else. Not anything else, that's too harsh. It just it so doesn't scratch that itch for me. I just don't buy them in these roles, and it was something that I could not look past. And fair enough, you could argue this is an origin story of sorts. This is young Nathan Drake. It's not meant to be the character that you've seen in the games, but even looking at it through that lens, it doesn't wash with me at all. So in terms of servicing fans, I think they've really dropped the ball when it came to casting the film. Everyone's made a big deal out of this. I'm not pointing out something revelationary there. And they've got an uphill battle because of that. And that's not to say the actors or the acting is bad. Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland, they're putting in the effort. They do have a rapport. Although slight criticism of Tom Holland, which may lose us another listener, even though he's fine, this doesn't feel like a far stretch from the Peter Parker character. And having recently watched Spider-Man, I know he's a cracking actor and I'm being a bit harsh, but it only feels distinguishable by name and costume. I just felt like I was watching him do the same thing again. If I disregard my love for the game, and I think we're going to disagree on this, I do think this is a perfectly acceptable action-adventure film. It has reasonably good pace. There's some half-decent action and a fair amount of spectacle, especially towards the end. Although I would definitely argue that they throw the best action scene in at the beginning, and they know it's that good because they recycle it again halfway through and show you. The story is somewhat comprehensible, even if you're not paying close attention. But if you are paying attention, much like Moonfall last week, there's a lot of laziness and things just do not make sense. And I think a lot of that is in the games, aside from the all-out action and gunplay, 
that a lot of the game revolves around. There's puzzle solving and encountering, you know, environments and ancient treasures and all that stuff. And how that materialises in this film just doesn't feel natural at all, especially the puzzle element. It was like, these things have existed in public for hundreds of years. Why has nobody ever touched this before? It did, did not make sense. Uh, and it lacked any logic. They've made this film already. It was called National Treasure. Just make a third one of those. And, and if they made a second one, I can't even remember. You're just cashing in on a popular game property. And it's okay, but it is not the film that I wanted. That was my thoughts. James, what about you? My expectations were low. The trailers were not good. The casting was not good. They managed to capture the vaguest sense of what the series is. It's a deep world of career criminals who fight each other and chase each other around the world, but it's got none of the charm and wit, absolutely none. And I think we're going to mention the games quite a lot over the next few minutes. In the games, there is an attachment to well-known lost cities like Atlantis or, or something, and historical figures that would ground things before you set off into adventure. Like in Enchanted uh, 4, they do mention Lawrence of Arabia. It's this week's Lawrence of Arabia mention. Any opportunity, I swear. <laughs> but this doesn't achieve this film doesn't achieve that. There's some crosses that were used for something. And maybe it does reference real people, but it doesn't feel anchored in a real history that the Uncharted games have and Indiana Jones has. The plotting of it is the most basic. Collect something, go to the next place, find a clue, go to the next place, use the thing with action in between each thing. Last year, we watched the terrible Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider film, and this Uncharted feels like a throwback to that. I agree with you. It's not It's not awful. It's not totally awful, but it's quite basic compared to the level that some actually good blockbuster films are at. But I'd still put it below Red Notice and Free Guy. I do, th- I do think that's fair. Very different films, but not in terms of them being action. Do you think this is less successful or as bad as Moonfall? That's really hard. Mo- Moonfall was so out there and so stupid that I enjoyed Moonfall more. Right. No, fair enough. Okay, Whereas Uncharted is a run-of-the-mill, bi- run like, box-ticking film production exercise. It opens with a flash-forward to the plane folding scene from the third game. And then after that, I felt like there was a lot of pretty basic TV drama-level scenes of people walking around and talking talking in nice apartments walking around the street and then all the money goes into the final act with the plane escape and the helicopters and the boats the games start small as well but they don't start with cheapness the fourth game has the auction scene in it but they make the way to the auction through a, a vast, that beautiful landscape and infiltrate this grand mansion. And he w- climbs around the edge of the, of, the, of the mansion where the auction is happening. And it still has a scale to it, even though that's the small start. It's just in an auction. In the film, we'll just walk to an auction. We'll just walk in to the building and have very minor hand-to-hand combat. At the very least, though, it's not a long film. It's under two hours. And it's written in an economical way, introduce a character, fight, explain the next set piece, fight, have a bit of banter. I wasn't waiting for it to end. And I will say that in its defense, unlike something truly awful that I hated, like Eternals. 
nevertheless still quite empty, no actual vision behind it, which funnily enough, Eternals did seem to have. I think what's happened is they've thought for so long about how to make an Uncharted film. They've had different casting ideas, including Mark Wahlberg as Nathan Drake. They've had different approaches and someone senior enough at Sony said, just make it. Make what? Just make the Uncharted film. Use this Indiana Jones template, pick scenes from the game at random. You've got this much money. Go and make it. Get the Zombieland director to do it. Tom Holland, he's playing Peter Parker. I like him as well. He was really good in Cherry, the Apple film, directed by the Russo brothers. He's playing Peter Parker. It doesn't work. It was a mistake. That's been covered by you already. I won't go over it again. I am glad you've mentioned it, though, because I did worry that I was being a bit harsh by saying it, but you've just made me feel so much better. I did like Chloe, who was played by Sophia Taylor Alley. She was just bringing something a bit different, but in a good, in not in a miscast way. And Tati Gabrielle, who plays the villain, she actually looked like she could be a character in the games, like with her vest, exposed arms, and the sleeve tap, like the braided blonde hair. And there's a bit where she kind of leaps up, does an action pose. That really felt like a moment from the game where the villain is facing net down, is, is a serious threat. The positive audience scores that you mentioned, 6.8 on IMDb, 4.1 on the Google reviews. That's outrageous. That's just fake reviews going on here. There's no way this is 6.9. In the IMDb world, to me, 6.9 is pretty high. This is not 6.9. If you go off what you were discussing last week about algorithms and manufacturing content for a gullible audience, though, take away your love from the game. Do you not think it does kind of tick those boxes and maybe that's why if if you for example do not like the game i can imagine you going into this and you don't have that inbuilt resentment for what it actually ends up being maybe but i i'm on the same page as you i agree i think it's way too high but i don't know if i'm bringing my baggage into it for that i think you're right i think you're onto something because even even though tom holland is not playing the nathan drake character he is still good and mm. Marky Mark, like, say what you want about him. He's still good in films. So there's something there. And the, the end sequence with the helicopters and the pirate ships, I did enjoy that. I thought that was actually good. That's not from the games, is it? Not that I remember. I thought um, this, this is ridiculously CG heavy, but to be fair, I've never seen anything like this before. And it's there's some fairly interesting stuff happening in terms of the action. I, th- I have that exact same thought. I've never seen this before. Then I thought... Maybe that's because everybody else has realised that this is physically an impossibility and wouldn't happen. But um, regardless, it's still quite fun to see something new. Yeah. Is that a spoiler? No, we've not, we've not said what actually is the, the actual yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fair enough. It's probably in the, in the trailer, though. Yeah. Um, shall we go into spoilers, but ask the question first? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend Uncharted? Two different answers based on who you are. If you're an Uncharted fan, no. If you are a fan of action-adventure films and have no attachment to Uncharted, yes, I think I would. What about you, James? Word for word, exactly the same as what you've just said. Okay. Spoilers then? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is... Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So what happens in this film? They need to find some treasure through a series of MacGuffin quests. They find the treasure and we learn about Nate's brother at the start, Sam. What happened to him? He's disappeared. Braddock, the main villain, played by Tati Gabrielle, she killed him. 
there's a climactic fight between Nathan Drake and Braddock. I think they tried to do a sort of Indiana Jones Last Crusade, let it go indie moment with Sully, where he lets go of a bag of gold to kill Braddock and Nathan Drake and Sully ride off in a helicopter. And then in a post-credit sequence, we see Sam in prison. He's alive. Sequel. Would you say that's a fair summary? Very fair. I did not stay for end credits, so I didn't even know that happened at the end. So thank you very much. You don't see his face, so they've got casting options, but he's writing a, a letter or a postcard and signs it S. Were you surprised when Antonio Banderas was killed and usurped as the main villain? Not so much, because I, I think that boils down to what I didn't like about this film. There's no heart and soul to it. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to have an emotional attachment to the villain, but I just didn't care. Leads to blood spill during having your neck sliced in film history. Not a single drop of blood. I'm sure that's the secure a 12 rating, but I did notice it. This end sequence that we both like then. They find the treasure in some old ships, old timey ships. And in a totally implausible moment, they attach these giant ships to a helicopter and two helicopters lift up these really old derelict ships. Number one, the ships don't just fall apart. Number two, the helicopters hold up the ships. And I think they tried to explain it by having the helicopters, they're obviously like load-carrying helicopters that you would attach something underneath. But come on, there's absolutely nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's not a pirate fishing boat. It is a pirate ship, yeah. an entire ship. But as we both said, I can't say I've ever seen anything like that. And I was visually arrested with it for yeah. at least four minutes. Yes, yes. The ships like swinging into each other, the shaky ground that they were on to do the fights and the ending where Tom Holland, Nathan Drake, Peter Parker fires a cannon from one of the ships into a helicopter. That was nice. Did you notice though when... um. Sully says, I'm going to climb up to the helicopter and hijack it. And I thought, that's just like Mission Impossible Fallout. I wonder if they'll do a sequence where he's climbing up the rope and work his way inside. No, he's, he's at the top of the helicopter. It's fine. He's by the door. Just open the door. Throw them out. It's fine. I'm going to completely contradict myself now. So I've played all the games. I have, I have spent a lot of time with them. But I play a lot of games. We watch a lot of films. I'm not going to lie and say that my memory of them is pristine. It's not. How well do you think, regardless of how these actors look, how well do you think they portrayed this relationship between Sully and Nathan? Because I'm forgetting a lot, story-wise, from the games, but did this initial he's using him just as a means to an end, does that fit in with what we've come to know about these characters or not? My memory's hazy as well, but I don't think it fits in. They could maybe say it's a prequel, so it's fine but they seem to have a better relationship in the games. Spoilers for Uncharted 2 or 3. When Sully appears to be killed, it's a huge moment. But that comes from their long relationship, which you don't have in this film. So they've got out of it. Because it's set before the games, the relationship doesn't need to be the same. So you can see it building up to what it is in the games. Yeah, and I do think maybe it is a bit too overly critical for me to have a go at this for not having the sort of heart and soul that I spoke about with the games. You've got a lot of time invested in the characters in those games, so naturally you're going to be able to pay that off a lot better. But I just thought for 90% of this film, I thought if this ends with no redeeming quality to Sully, 
they have massively misunderstood this character. And they do have that little bit where he saves him and sacrifices the gold, but 90% of it, I was like, this is not this relationship as I know it. And I think that's why I had such a difficult time saying these are the characters that I know and love because it's just not them for the biggest portion of the film. Yeah. Sully is a career criminal with a heart of gold, I think, in the game. And this Mark Wahlberg character is not that. No, he's just a selfish arsehole. Yeah. And Nathan Drake in the games, he, he's a good character, but he does like screw people over a little bit, but bad people. He's not definitely not morally pure, whereas in the film, he's just very nice. He has this pure, noble quest to find his long-lost brother. And Really? In the, sorry. And then in the, in the games, again, because it's a longer story, he gets involved in things despite it not being a good idea. He goes on, invent- on these adventures despite himself. Whereas in the film, he's like, I want, let's go on the adventure. I'm really up for it. We're past the point of recommending, so a really inappropriate place to ask this question. Was there enough in this film for you to want to know what the sequel will be? No. Right. Okay. Put another way, if they don't make a sequel, I won't be bothered. What about you? If I'm being extremely nice to this film and I can say you have all the excuses in the world to say this is an origin story it's not meant to be uncharted as you know it the next film best be and if it's not i'm out but they'd kind of have that to fall back on and say that's why that didn't quite work for you and maybe tom holland can make some absolutely atrocious life choices and age himself by 10 years in the next two and maybe it'll all work and as you've just said the first uncharted game was very good but it was only Uncharted 2 that was an all-time classic. Maybe it will mirror the journey of the games, but that's being too nice to this. It's not going to. It's going to be just as equally bad. We've charted that territory. Let's move on. And never go back. James, what are we reviewing next week? It's to be confirmed at the moment. Got options like Kimmy and Death on the Nile, but we've just not decided. I don't think my bank balance can keep taking this battering of going to watch distinctly average films. So let's be uh, let's be calculated about it and we'll let you know next week. Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to support this podcast, as ever, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review and rating on iTunes or any other podcast platform that you may happen to listen with. Give us your feedback at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com and you can also follow us at In The House Podcast on Instagram. James, any parting words of advice? If at this point a place is uncharted, it's probably not worth going. Like, no, I, was, I won't end place. Don't want to offend people. Right? <clears throat> Bye. <laughs>